Okay, so I guess first question of the interview, what is your name, pronouns, and where are you from? I'm Arabi, my pronouns are she, her. I'm originally from Bangladesh um, and I moved to California with my family when I was 10. So I feel like, you know, I grew up, I consider myself have being Californian as well as being Bangladeshi. So can you tell me more about your personal journey as like an undocumented Bengali woman and how that shaped your identity in activism? Yeah, I don't think I really understood what it meant to be undocumented growing up. I didn't know a whole lot. My dad would talk a lot about, you know, DACA and kind of immigration policies, but it just felt like politics and not not something that felt personal to me. Um, and it wasn't until my senior year of high school that I realized what it meant to be undocumented. I realized I don't qualify for financial aid through FAFSA. Um, and there were a lot of barriers and my path to going to college that my my peers who were documented didn't have to face. And um, when I asked my um, counselors and my educators in high school for help, no one really knew how to help me because there was such a lack of resources and awareness of understanding of the undocumented experience and how to help undocumented students. So I think, you know, just have, going through that journey personally and experiencing the setbacks because no one in my life really knew how to help me, that shaped my advocacy in very profound ways. And so, you know, throughout college, um, I went to community college first because I was undocumented and thought I didn't have any other options. Um, I transferred to UC Berkeley to study sociology and, you know, throughout that journey and then going to law school afterwards, I realized um, how much my voice and um, I think my experience was was needed in, in the immigrants' rights space um, as a young person, as a South Asian undocumented person, um, as someone who, you know, comes from I think a background that you wouldn't think of when you think of undocumented people, I really felt like I wanted to represent my community. And um, that's, yeah, that's shaped my advocacy. And in really in everything that I do, whether that be working with students, working with um, colleges or, you know, doing presentations um, or even just, you know, like I'm doing now sharing my own experiences. I guess um, I wanted to ask, uh, you already kind of went into this, like as uh, I'm Indonesian American and I guess like growing up, I, I didn't see a lot of represent representation in my community, for, uh, like being undocumented, right? So you kind of went into this, but have, did you feel represented growing up in the immigrants' right movement? No, never. Um, honestly, so <laughs> part of the reason I didn't realize I was undocumented was because I, d I didn't think people like you could be Asian and undocumented. Um, I think I had a very limited perception of, you know, you could only be undocumented if you crossed a border because I think that's the narrative I heard on the news growing up. Um, and it wasn't until I was older that I realized, you know, there are so many ways folks can fall out of status. And I understood that a little bit more. Um, so no, I don't think I really felt represented in that sense. And it wasn't until I was older and was specifically able to find special like specific niche, like, Immigrants Rising has an Asian Pacific Islander kind of subgroup within it that, you know, a, a lot of un undocu API folks who congregate in that space. It wasn't until I met or found communities like that that I realized it. I can hold both the identities of being um, Asian and also being undocumented. And I should also say, just for context, um, 
I am formerly undocumented. I received, I'm an asylum seeker and I received asylum um, earlier this year. So, you know, I'm very aware of the privilege I hold to kind of have status now. Um, but I think I feel close to that experience because I have for almost all of my ex time in the US, I have been undocumented. That's amazing. I had no idea, but congratulations. That's, that's, that's really good. It, so you and were up, undocumented up to the, like earlier this year? in january yeah so yeah that's that's kind of been my it's been a very eventful year do you think that um gaining your status do you think anything changed for you then i think i'm more um i'm less afraid right which makes sense like i think i'm less afraid of speaking up i'm less afraid of putting myself out there and sharing my story i think i've more or less been pretty vocal about my experiences but i think i did it through a lens of like this is the work that i do rather than this is my personal experience and i would only share that i was undocumented once i was in spaces that was fully undocumented or fully like immigrants rights spaces um but now i feel i like you know i feel safer being able to share that experience with folks even who are not undocumented who are not immigrants um and I think I feel a greater responsibility to use my voice, my privilege, my education to continue to support immigrant and undocumented communities. Um, so I think that's what's changed. I just feel, I feel braver, I suppose. Um, and I feel like a greater responsibility. Yeah, um, so what ways have you been involved in advocacy work for the undocumented community? I know that you founded First and Empower. Um, so like what led you to find that and like what other work have you done? Yeah, I'll talk about First Gen Empower first. So I mentioned already earlier that, you know, in high school, I didn't have any support. And I ultimately ended up going to community college. Um, I think that experience of going to a public high school where no one, like literally not a single person in that school of what, like 2,600 students and like, you know, 200 staff members knew how to help me. And I think that left like such an impact on my life that as I went through college, I kept thinking back to like, what can I do? to make that issue, like help address that issue of lack of resources and support. And so at Berkeley, um, there was a fellowship, a one-year fellowship for graduating seniors called the Stronach Prize. And the idea was uh, students can pitch a um, idea to make their community a better place in some way. And if they interview and they get the fund, if they, if they kind of like get accepted into the program, they receive funding for a year to execute that program. And so that was the initial idea for First Gen Empower. It was meant to be really like a resource center for first generation, low income and undocumented high school students at my former high school, um, Van Nuys High School in, in LA in the Valley. And so the idea was that a one year program at this school, like it was very specific, very narrow in scope. But over the pandemic, I realized the need for the, the resources we're providing was so great because everything was virtual and a lot of high schools and counselors and educators didn't really know how to reach their students virtually through Instagram, through social media, through Zoom. So that's kind of the, the space we were able to help fill in by making sure students from these underrepresented communities had the resources they needed to apply to college, to apply to financial aid, um, scholarships. Um, if you're undocumented to realize like, or kind of like learn more about how that application process looks different because of your status um yeah so that's kind of been i think for me that's been 
the most meaningful work experience I've ever had. But because I was so involved with all these different community organizations through First Gen Empower, because of partnerships we developed, we were collaborating with other organizations. I think that opened doors for other avenues of advocacy. And so now, and I can mention some of the other ways I, I advocate for immigrant communities. Um, I am part of um, the President's Alliance for Immigration and Higher Education's, uh, one of their advisory boards. Um, and through that advisory board, we're all looking an, into and kind of trying to figure out how can we provide greater support to graduate students who are undocumented. Um, so that's, you know, one thing that I do where I just kind of like, you know, I'm part of this group that's trying to think bigger picture, like financial aid access, entrepreneurship, uh, admissions policies for undocumented people trying to go to grad school. Um, I'm also involved with Immigrants Rising. Um, they have a pre-law fund for folks who are undocumented looking into going to into into law school. Um, so, you know, I help kind of run workshops for them. I've sat in their scholarship selection committee before to provide folks funding, um, helping develop resource guides. So I think for me, a lot of my experience in advocacy sits at the intersection of education access and um, immigration um, and thinking about, you know, education is a should be and it, in my opinion, is a fundamental human right. How can we make that more accessible regardless of you folks, regardless of status? Uh, but I'm also a lawyer by training. So um, I also, you know, uh, through different internships and, and work that I've done at law school, do also policy and litigation for immigrants communities. And so, for example, you know, for folks um, who are detained in ICE detention centers, the ACLU has a lot of active litigation to improve the living conditions within those detention centers. And so when I was interning there, I would help, you know, kind of with that with a lot of with that litigation, forming those legal arguments. Um, and also, you know, kind of policy reform, helping develop sanctuary policies at the city level to make sure um, police departments don't collaborate with ICE and give information to them to facilitate deportation. So I think I have, for me, advocacy is very broad and you can take so many different pathways and there's so many different ways for folks to be advocates. Um, and I think actually, because I'm involved in so many different ways, I think it helps me be a better advocate because I can connect these different experiences to each other. Yeah, I definitely think that you finding First and Empower, um, I kind of, I wish I came across it when I was in high school because um, when I was applying to colleges, I, I'm from Georgia and it's probably, it, like we have like, a lot of bars in Georgia when it comes to access to higher education. I was really confused. I thought like I couldn't go to college. There were no, um, there were no like orgs in Georgia that specifically focused on undocumented students. So I remember I was, I went on Facebook and I started looking up like, like specific groups like undocumented students. And I would reach out to like, I, there was one in Maryland that I reached out to. They helped a little bit, but again, I, like they didn't know much about the policies in Georgia. But I think it's it's great that you founded First in Power, and uh, I wanted to mention one of your um, someone in First in Power applied to be a part of our symposium, like to be a participant. Yeah, I didn't know if you knew. Yeah, what. Sarah. So I actually told her about the symposium because I, I you, when you reached out to me and I told her to apply because I think that'd be a really cool way for her to get involved and um, and just have a first and empower also be involved in the space. That's that, that's amazing. I mean, I can't wait to meet her. I hope she enjoys our workshops and everything. But um, I guess like you kind of went into 
how you do a lot of policy work. So how was your journey navigating to law school as someone who is undocumented? And what do you plan to do with your law degree in the future? Yeah, um, honestly, it was really confusing. I think you touched on it a little bit right now, which is like there's so little information because people don't understand. I think like even the concept of undocumented people going to college is I mean, I know it's been going on for a while, but it's still relatively new if you think about the history of undocumented people in the US. The fact that we can go to college, we can get financial aid, we can get college degrees. And then within that, you have a even smaller group of people trying to go into graduate school to become doctors and lawyers and other professionals that require licensing. And I think because it's such a relatively new concept and there's so few of us, um, schools don't really have the support system they don't have the resources they don't really know how to help us and so when i was applying to law school a similar issue happened of like i was trying to figure out what i qualify for if i can get scholarships if i could get loans and no one really knew how to help me other than other undocumented people who have gone through the process who are already in law school or who are already lawyers and so the, the few that i could find i relied on them very heavily and you know figured out okay like i'm gonna apply everywhere like my plan was just I was expecting to get rejected because I was undocumented or I was expecting to not get financial aid. So I went really like overbroad and applied to like 31 law schools because I was just like, I don't know where I'm going to get in. I don't know how my status impacts this process, but I also didn't want to hide my identity. And so in my personal statement, I talked about being undocumented. I talked about how that shaped my decision to come to law school, because for me, if that was the reason they rejected me, I don't really want to go to that school to begin with. So I was very upfront and transparent about my experiences. Luckily, I don't think, you know, like that was a huge impact. Um, and so, you know, I was admitted to some law schools and I ultimately chose Harvard Law. And at the end of that journey, I think I had a similar realization as um, what happened with the creation of First Gen Empower, which was like, it should not be this hard to find resources. It should not be this hard to find information. And so I reached out to Immigrants Rising at the time because I was connected to them. And I asked if they would be interested in developing a resource guide that kind of lays out the application process to law school for undocumented applicants specifically. And they said yes. And so I started working with them. And by the end of the summer, we had drafted this um, resource guide which really became the first like comprehensive resource guide in the country um, that lays out like the, the law school application process for undocumented applicants. And it's amazing because now, like after it got published, I had, um, you know, like people, like law students, uh, student organizations, even like Dean of Admissions at different law schools reach out to me to say that that's the resource they link people to whenever they someone is undocumented. And so I think it's become like a go-to resource for a lot of these institutions, which is really rewarding to realize, you know, like your work can have that kind of impact. Um, and so, yeah, I think like it was a challenging path to get to law school, but ultimately I think I came out of it and that hardship made me want to channel it into creating something that could make the path to law school easier for future generations. And as for what I'm doing next, um, I'll be working at a litigation firm in LA after graduation, or rather in a few months. And um, I, I think for me, one of my goals within advocacy is also to advocate for myself and for my family. And which means, you know, like building generational wealth. Like my parents are not homeowners. Um, we don't really have savings. Like that's not really a thing in our home. 
And so I want to make sure I can financially take care of my family. And so for me, like being able to have a well-paying job that's kind of stable and secure and being able to provide for my family is also a form of advocacy. Um, so that's what I'll be doing after. But, you know, obviously I'm still involved with Person Empower. I'll continue doing this work. Um, and uh, the firm that I'm in, they also do pro bono work, which basically means you represent um, individuals who might not be able to afford legal services. And so I plan to do a lot of immigration related pro bono work um, because I think we have seen how being represented by lawyers can completely change the outcome of immigration cases. Um, the difference between getting a yes on your asylum claim and no sometimes just rests on having a lawyer who can put that that application together or that case together. So I want to be able to represent people in that capacity. So how was the process for applying for asylum or asking for asylum? Yeah, um, I mean, I don't, uh, my family applied years and years ago because I was really young, so I don't really know a whole lot about how it started. Um, but I, I, what I will say kind of like in a general sense is most asylum cases take years. For us, it took 15 years, um, essentially like the whole time I was here. And while you're waiting for your asylum case to kind of go through court systems, um, you're kind of in limbo, um, right? Like you're, you're kind of stuck. You don't qualify for a lot of benefits. Um, I will say something that I'm very grateful for is um, folks, for folks who um, have their asylum cases pending, at least we were, my family and I were able to get um, work permits, kind of like how DACA recipients get work permits. So like in every two year increments. So we would get our work permit for two years, we would apply again to renew it. So thankfully I was able to continue working legally and apply for jobs, apply for internships. I know that's a huge privilege. A lot of other undocumented people don't have access to because they don't have work authorization. But I think if there's anything good or silver lining about being stuck in limbo it is that you're able to continue working while a case kind of goes to court um yeah but i think it's hard especially i think under the trump administration to feel like you don't know where your life is going next you know like you you don't allow yourself to plan ahead because you think like this is it today might be the day the decision comes out and it's a no and that means that i'll have to to be deported and i won't be able to stay in the u.s longer and I think that fear prevented me from kind of like planning my life ahead and seeing myself like five or 10 years from now. I feel like whenever people in those interview questions ask, like, what do you see yourself doing five years from now? I always felt like I was lying because I had no idea. Um, so I think like it's hard to feel like your life is kind of on limbo, which obviously is a very, um, I know a lot of undocumented folks can resonate with that experience, but I'm happy that, you know, we had i ha we were able to afford lawyers um it's expensive and that meant a lot of my family savings like all of that money went to hiring a lawyer um but we were able to afford one and so that helped a lot with kind of you know processing the case is there any specific type of law that you want to practice now as you go back to la um i mean I think I'm open. I'm trying to. So um, I don't think I have a specific area that I'm focusing on rather than a type, like how I want to practice law. So like I mentioned, I'm going to a litigation firm, which basically means that, you know, like when you have one company, so another company. So I'll be focusing on litigation, um, which I think also. So like and when you do immigration cases, that's technically litigation because on the other side of your case um, is the government. And so I think I know I want to do litigation broadly. I don't have any 
immediate plans to go into immigration law in the sense of like representing clients directly. Like, I don't think that's what I want to do at the end of my life, but I'm interested in immigration policy advocacy. So I can see myself going into that space, doing more policy advocacy work at the state level, at the federal level. Um, and also working with institutions to make sure they know how to help their undocumented employees their students, their, you know, whoever else. Um, so I think I see myself in kind of policy spaces as they relate to immigration. So like, how do you plan to foster in inclusivity and solidarity within that policy work and activism, considering like all of the, of the diverse identities um, in the undocumented community? It's a really good question. Um, I think like I enter spaces with actually when we do undocu ally trainings at universities so like basically helping whatever staff members help understand how to advise and support and counsel undocumented students one of our first slides it says this is not a space for political debate and by that i mean i enter spaces and for me it's a non-negotiable that undocumented people are here and we belong here and i'm not really interested in having a discussion on the merits of that argument like I don't want to have a talk about, well, you know, like, you don't believe undocumented people deserve to be here. Let me like, you know, like, let's have, I don't want that to have that conversation. So for me, when I enter spaces and I make it clear my non-negotiable to have this conversation to begin with is that we do belong here. Now, the question is, how can we make sure now that like, we, now that we are here, we have access to rights, access to justice, access to education, legal representation. So for me, like, solidarity is solidarity with people is kind of having that unwavering and unfaltering belief that we belong here we deserve to be here and i i, I was interesting because i think when you kind of go in with that mentality people don't really want to push back right like because now they're like oh okay like that's what she believes and they're kind of and i think at least from what i have seen a little bit more open to hearing your thoughts out and hearing about my ideas for what change can look like what policy reform can look like um and i think the other thing in terms of solidarity is is to show how despite how different we might be culture wise religious you know coming from different religions backgrounds speaking different languages coming from different parts of the world we have there's a lot more that kind of we have in common and that brings us together. And I think I want to emphasize that sense of solidarity within immigrants' rights spaces that I could look different from you or speak a different language, but I understand what you, some a lot of what you have gone through um, as someone who was, was undocumented, as someone who grew up in a low-income family. Um, so I try to um, lean into those shared experiences when I enter immigrant spaces. Um, what advice would you offer someone who is younger and undocumented that's wanting to pursue law school? And I know you uh, mentioned like the the Immigrants Rising Law School Guide. I actually have that saved on my computer, like the PDF. Um, and you you mentioned also the pre-law fund. Are there any more like specific resources you would recommend um, when going to apply for law school? Or just yeah, so those yeah yeah like so those are my go-to resources the pre-law fund gives money the, the and, and support and mentorship i think the other one would be really really persistent sometimes law schools don't really know how to help you because they have never had to work with an undocumented student before so don't take their no for an answer push to see if you can talk to someone higher up than them or a different person because sometimes you'll get an answer that 
you will obviously believe because it's a staff member at a university, right, telling you this thing. But sometimes they just don't know and you need to talk to another person. So I will say be persistent and um, don't always take the first no as your answer because it might actually not be a no. It just might be ignorance or misunderstanding. Um, the other thing I'll say is there is funding, unlike other graduate programs where I think it's much, it can be much more difficult to find funding, law school scholarships are typically available for all students regardless of international status, immigration status. So it is possible to like get really good funding and scholarships to go to law school. So I would, you know, encourage everyone to apply to as many um, scholarships as you can, um, both the ones funded by law schools and outside of it, because there's a lot out there and that can really help you reduce debt. Um, and so like the money is out there and we are such impressive people just because we have the stories that we have, the identities that we hold and the fact that we're out here, you know, like, Survive, not, not just surviving but thriving as well and being really successful i think that was that experience makes for a really compelling narrative to share in scholarship applications and in law school applications so you know i encourage you to to put yourself out there and apply for scholarships um and i think the other one is specifically for folks without work authorization so if you're not a DACA recipient if you don't have any type of work permit um that you have kind of renewing Something to think about is what do you see yourself doing with your law degree afterwards? Like if you can't work legally, again, like your your options are rather limited. You can't work at a firm, you can't work at a nonprofit. So you have to think about like what do you want to do with your law degree to make money afterwards? And that could mean opening up your own law firm, that could mean becoming a consultant. Um, whatever it is, like think through what your options are because. Getting a JD, first of all, it's a three-year program and it's really intensive. You are sacrificing your time, your energy, sacrificing relationships, being there with your loved ones to go through this really intense, rigorous program. Um, and it's kind of expensive if you have to pay any type of money. Um, so if you're going to get your degree, you want to make sure you can actually utilize it afterwards. So I encourage you to think through what those options can look like for you. And I'm always happy to talk if anyone wants to reach out and we can have that conversation, like a brainstorming conversation. Um, but yeah, so I would say those are my main pieces of advice. I, I guess I wanted to ask, like, how did you feel at Harvard? Like, did you feel represented? Did you feel like there was a community there for you? Did you feel like the the admin there, did you feel seen by the admin there? Um, yes and no. I don't think I felt seen in the sense of like as an undocumented person, just because there aren't that many, or at least at the law school. Um, I was very lucky that one of my closest friends at law school was formerly undocumented. And so um, she was older than me. She had already kind of gone through, you know, all of these different university systems as an undocumented person. And so she was able to um, kind of like lend me that experience. But I think from the university itself, um it's hard because they there are so few of us there they don't really have an incentive to have support systems in place at least at the law school um so i think the most i felt supported and seen was by the immigration clinic that provided legal services to 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 students who are like who are undocumented and so when my work permit was in renewing one year they really helped me out they helped me figure out how to like expedite the process so that was really cool to have lawyers and not just one or two, but like multiple lawyers 
um, helped me figure out how to kind of go through this process. Um, and I, you know, that's a huge privilege because most people can't access lawyers, not even one, let alone multiple. Um, and I think what I did open up about being undocumented to different staff for administration, I think they were supportive. Like, you know, everyone was impressed. People were supportive of that journey. Um, I don't think I ever felt excluded or like, like people were hostile. But that being said, you know, I was also cautious of the fact a lot of my classmates are conservatives, you know, these are people who are going to go on into becoming Congress members, judges, and like dismantling democracy and taking away people's rights. Like those are some of the people I went to school with. I And I don't, I didn't feel safe or comfortable sharing my status in spaces where I know they are there when like people like them are the reason we are where we are in terms of not having rights. Um, and so I think, I don't know, it's a, it's a, it's a complicated question because I don't know if there's one answer I could give you. Um, but overall, I think I felt, you know, su supported. And I think for me, the biggest takeaway and the biggest like perk of all of it is, you know, like having the Harvard name behind you lends you more credibility. And so I want to be able to use that privilege to go into spaces where people don't talk about immigration or rather undocumented students and just say, you know, here I am. Like if, you know, like being able to take advantage of that legitimacy to bring more awareness to the experiences um, of undocumented immigrants. I guess I never thought about it in that way, how yet you're, you're literally sitting in classrooms where people are going to become like big politicians one day because it is it is Harvard and a lot of politicians do go to law school first. I guess I never thought of it that thought of it that way. Um, and I, I totally understand why you would never, you wouldn't feel comfortable sharing your status. Cause I guess someone who has that Harvard name behind them, they, it kind of gives them a lot more, um, voice, I guess, to speak. Yeah. And yeah, I, I see why, like, you don't really have a definitive, definitive answer, whether like you felt seen or not on campus, but I'm glad that you had like, at least that one friend that was formally undocumented. So you didn't feel like completely isolated or alone on campus. And again, like that, I didn't know that um, Harvard Law had an immigration immigration counseling center. And that's, that's really great as well. Yeah, it's one of my favorite um, kind of, I mean, the UCs in California have them as well. So the other public school systems in California. Um, but I think that's one of the, one of the really big things that universities can do to support, like show real support for their immigrant students is to have a clinic on campus or a legal services center where people can go get free help because lawyers are expensive. You don't really know how to get one and having one on campus can really, really help shape the outcome of your case. Yeah. I don't think that there's, there are any schools in, or universities in Georgia that have like an immigration counseling like clinic or we will have like at my university, cause we're the only dream us school. We do have like a scholarship advisor and we go to him for resources and such, but we don't have like a, like I know at UCLA they have the Dream Resource Center, but we don't really have anything like that over here in Georgia since there's a lot more bars when it comes to going to college as an undocumented student. But that's really interesting here. And I guess um, after I graduate, again, I'm, I'm only a third year, so I do want to go to law school. Um, I, I'm kind of feeling that same sense of like confusion that I felt when I was in high school where I was like oh is this even possible like um 
like how am I going to get funding for this? But I think once I, um, especially doing the UCLA Dream Summer program um, and meeting a lot of new people and hearing their stories, like I've met a lot of people that have gone to law school undocumented or with DACA, you know, and it makes me feel a lot more hope in that sense of like me wanting to go to law school. But um, is there anything else that you would like to share in this interview? Um, I think like to your point about, you know, feeling like is this even possible for me? Um, just to keep in mind that, you know, we are now in a place or like, there are so many support systems now that exist for undocumented people that did not exist even a few years ago, forget a decade ago, 15, 20 years ago, right? Like you have programs like the UCLA Dream Summer Program, you have programs um, that give financial aid and scholarships like the Dream US Program, right? Like there are so many organizations now that exist that provide very tangible resources and support to, to students um, and I would say, you know, like get involved with them. I mean, obviously benefit from them as well, like be participants in that sense. But when you're kind of on the other end of it, go back to those places and, and, and become involved and advocate through them. I think that's one of my favorite things is to go back to places I have benefited from. And as an alumni say, like, I'm now going to give back because like, there are always people who are coming up after you that will really benefit from the help that you can provide them. And so I think I'm a firm believer that everyone can be an advocate. Um, just by being who you are, you can be an advocate. You don't need a special skill. You don't need a fancy degree or, or, or anything like that. All of us have it in us to give something to the world. And now I think it's a matter of figuring out what it is that you would like to provide to the world or to other people and finding avenues to do that. Um, and there are really cool immigrant rights orgs out there, and I encourage everyone and you to get involved with them. Um, people are more receptive than you think they would be, you know, reaching out to say, I want to get involved and seeing, you know, if they get back or trying to find warm connections. Even the Dream Summer program is very well, like, resourced in the sense of, like, it's connected with some of the biggest organizations in the country. Um, and, you know, like, that means you have access to this vast network of people who can mentor you and guide you and get you to wherever you want to go next. So really tap into those networks. Yeah, of course. And um, I guess I wanted to go back to your point that I just, I just remembered about how you said like, before you go to law school, like um, decide like if you actually want to do this, because if you don't have work authorization in this country, you can't really practice at a firm. You can't really be like a lawyer for a nonprofit. Um, I guess I never really thought about that either. <laughs> but... Um, like, I guess Something I to think about, I yeah. don't think it's impossible, right? There are people who are undocumented lawyers who are doing things and, and doing amazing work. But as usual, there are just more hurdles in the way. But that doesn't mean it's impossible. I think more so what I want you to think about is, do I still want to go down this path knowing the restrictions? Or is there something else that I would like to do um, that will be a better use of my time, my energy, my skills? um yeah so i think that's the kind of like it's important to make like have that just like think through that before you take such a huge just leap into um, a graduate degree yeah if i'm not wrong the only two states you can practice law without like daca um 
or is California and New York correct? I'm not sure. I would say look at if you haven't already uh, the higher ed immigration portal. Mm-hmm. Hold on, let me find it for you. Higher ed. Um, I would take a look to see what their requirements are about professional licensing. There might be a couple of other states that where you can practice law. Uh, I would just like look into that. Um, but basically what the, what this does is at a state level, like lays down what the policies are for getting professional licenses. Um, yeah, so take a look at that. But yes, yeah, so like that's the other thing. Like, can you be licensed to, to practice the law in the state you want to go? Um, that's a, something else to think about uh, as like a checklist of things you need to go through. And I think also the, the resource guide, the Immigrants Rising Resource Guide also has some of those considerations for undocumented applicants. Yeah, I guess so for me, like I never really asked that question, like what am I gonna do if I can't work? It's cause I'm I'm a little stubborn. So like when I decided when I I, I was like, oh, I wanna go to law school, like that's kind of what I was focused on. I never really thought about the the like, what do I do after law school? Like I have my degree and now what? But that's an interesting. Yeah. Um, I guess that's all the questions I have. Uh, I, um, if Is that everything that you wanted to say for the interview? Yeah, I think so. Okay, uh, I do have a few questions for you after I, I pause the recording, but let me go ahead and end the recording. But thank you so much for for having this interview with me today, like, I, like taking your time out of your day to just speak with me. Of course, I'm happy to do it. Okay, let me end the recording.